about uh, who is your enemy. Last night we talked about who is God. Next week we'll talk about who are we, who is man. But tonight I wanted to talk about who's our enemy. You know, when, when armies get ready for warfare, they have to learn who their enemy is. They have to learn all the details about what the enemy might be planning for them. Pastor Kevin's been good about uh, sharing with us about the lies of the enemy, but I, I just wanted to share a little bit about who our enemy is, who is our enemy, so that we can really know just exactly who it is. We're going to see some real unique things in Scripture tonight uh, as we turn there. So let's go to Revelation 20, and uh, we're going to begin with verse 7. Because sometimes in order to begin, you must start at the conclusion. Sometimes in order to begin, you must start at the conclusion. Let's find out what the final outcome is going to be. Isn't it wonderful that God gave us this book? 66 books together with one central theme, and it tells us not only what has happened, but what is going to happen. And here it is. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are on the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breath and the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire, <laughs> sound effects came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Hallelujah. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and I'm going to add already are at that point, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. No parole, no pardoning, Nothing. They're going to be there. They will never come back out to tempt us and to bother us again. So the time frame of this passage, and the reason I wanted to read this, is because we need to see what the enemy's end is. He already knows. You don't think he don't know the Bible? He knows how to misquote it. We, we know that. He can misquote the Bible. But he knows what his prophesied ending is. And his ending is complete defeat, complete victory for the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The time frame of this passage is after the tribulation period and the millennium period. So, if Jesus were to come tonight, and I, I'm a pre-trib rapture believer, I, I believe we're going to go on the first trip out. That's what I'm hoping for anyway. Amen. So anyway, if Jesus were to come tonight, this, what we just read, will happen at least a thousand and seven years from now. The end is decreed by God. He's already been sentenced. He's just allowed to run around free, wrecking havoc, with whoever will listen to him. So I ask you a question. Do we have to listen to the enemy? 
No. Should be a resounding no. We don't have to listen to him. He's just a liar. Amen. And he is already defeated. Satan, the devil, the dragon, all of these are listed here in this passage, will be finally defeated and sentenced to eternal judgment. And again, he will not be pardoned, nor will he be paroled, nor will he get off because he has some sickness. He'll be let out on an early release. Nor will he get out because hell is too full. Nope, not going to happen. He is going to be there forever and ever. So God knows this final judgment. He's revealed it unto us. And you know that the enemy knows what his final judgment is. So we can have confidence when we come up against the enemy, and as we go on in this message tonight, I hope that you'll receive some of those things to give you more confidence in your battle with the enemy. Now, I was watching Perry Stone this week, and he was talking about angels, and he read from Job chapter 38, verse 4 through 7. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? This is God speaking. Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. <coughs> Perry Stone was talking about angels. And he said that these morning stars were the worship angels. That was their designation. That was their job. And the sons of God were the other angels that are there in heaven. So there were angels in heaven that that was their particular job to worship God. Lucifer whom we're going to see that name coming up, and his name again, Satan, the old devil. You know, He was in charge of the worship. <coughs> Michael, he was an archangel along with Michael. Michael was an archangel in charge of warfare. Gabriel, the archangel, is in charge of messaging, sending, delivering messengers to the children of God. Now, don't get me wrong. All of these angels, I think, really enjoy worshiping God, really enjoy being in God's presence. And so, here we have, in the beginning, before the creation of the world, the angels were in existence. And when the world was created, its foundations laid, its cornerstone laid, the angels sang, rejoiced. Lucifer, yes, Lucifer was there, and he sang with the angels of God and rejoiced. And you might say, well, Pastor, why are you saying that Lucifer was there when God created the earth? Do you think, now, now listen to me here, I got a question for you. Do you think right now that Lucifer is good or is he evil? Good answer, you're in the right place, right? 
Do you think that Lucifer has always been evil? No, he hasn't always been evil. Let, let's read what Genesis chapter 1, verse 31 says. Then God saw everything that he had made. And indeed, it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So when God created the heavens and the earth, everything on the earth was good. When God created our universe, it was only good. There was not evil. One of my pet peeves is these people that talk about yin and, or yin and yang and talk about philosophical dualism, uh, the force, the good force and the bad force. I want to tell you, beloved, there's no such thing. God is not comparable to the enemy. He is higher and above the enemy, and I should put that the other way around. The enemy is in no way can be compared to God because God himself is almighty, as we talked about last Wednesday. And he does not have a beginning. I can't fathom that. I, I'm sorry, I just, my mind is just too finite to imagine how great God is. But God is great. But you know what? The enemy is not as great as God. He may think in his mind that he is. Well, but that's, we're going to go on and see that. But he is not. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 28, Verses 12 through 15, our enemy here is called the king of Tyre. And it says in this passage, you, I'm just going to share this thought with you, and then we're going to read it. It says in this passage, he was perfect when he was created. Go back to the Genesis passage we just read. When God created things, he said everything was good. Even Lucifer was good at that point, at the creation. Wise and good-looking, Ezekiel says. His body was an instrument to worship God. Wow. Let's read it. Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, the topaz, and the diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. Did you see that word? On the day you were created. The enemy is a created being, but yet he had this was his body. He was a beautiful angel. He was a beautiful being. You are the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created till iniquity was found in you. He was able to be in the holy mountain of God. Right there in God's presence. He was able to go 
back and forth among all of the angels, I think that this describes, this passage describes his body as being that when he walked or the wind blew through his body that there was beautiful music that came forth because that's how God made him. And his body was created to be praise unto God. And yet, he denied the very reason that he was created. I believe also, it says here, he was in Eden. I believe that part of what his purpose was when God created Adam and Eve was to go down into the garden before God got there and to teach Adam and Eve how to worship God, to teach Adam and Eve the songs of praise and to lead them in that praise to God so that when God came down in the cool of the day, their hearts were ready and they were prepared to worship. Have you ever heard people talk about a familiar spirit? You know what I think? I think that, well, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I just got to share this thought. I think that when Eve heard the serpent speak to her, it was as if a familiar voice were speaking to her. She had heard that voice before. She had heard the voice of the enemy before. He was Before he was leading her in worship, now he had fallen. Wow, I, we're getting ahead of ourselves here. We've got to go on to Isaiah chapter 14 because in Isaiah it talks about his fall. <clears throat> chapter 14, verse 12. Here he is called Lucifer, which is a, a variant of the word light. So he, his, his being emanated light at the beginning. You know, when he was a perfect angel, before he fell. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you, you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations? For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend Above the heights of the clouds, I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lower depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble? Who shook kingdoms? Who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities? Who did not open the house of his prisoners? Is this him? It's almost like they're staring in unbelief when he's finally unveiled who he is. Our enemy, here referred to as Lucifer, was called the son of the morning. The son of the morning. Because he was so bright. And he was so blessed of God in the place where he was. And yet, that did not stop him from thinking in his mind, and it says here in his heart, 
which, which tells us this about God. God is able to discern the thoughts and intents of our hearts, right? So he knows everything about us. Everything. And so if he knows everything about us, then we just better, well, fess up, right? Just like Brother Randy was talking about earlier. Letting nothing in between us and God. Because God knows everything. Lucifer thought that he would exalt his throne above God's so that he could receive the worship from Adam and Eve instead of God. Because that's what it's saying here. He wanted to put his, himself above the heights of the clouds so that he would be like the Most High, that he would receive the worship. And when God understood that and saw that in him, he cast him out of heaven. Now, the, the Revelation talks about how he took a third of the angels with him. And, and the thought that I have is this. These angels had seen the very presence of Almighty God. They had seen all of God's power and glory and beauty, all of God's creation. Oh, they had seen the peaks of the mountains that God created. They had seen the beautiful oceans that God created. They had seen the northern lights that God had created. And the Milky Way, they had seen all of that. And they had seen God's ability to reach down and make a man and breathe into him and cause him to be a living soul. And, and yet, and yet, they listened to Lucifer and followed him. One-third of the angels followed him. Milton in Paradise Lost said this. Satan's thought was better to rule in hell than to serve in heaven. That's terrible, isn't it? Isn't that terrible? Wow. But if the angels, one-third of the angels were deceived. Listen, this is what the thought that came to me. If one-third of the angels were deceived by this liar and snake, what makes us think that on our own we are any match for him? We need help. We need help. Well, let's go on. Majesty. They'd seen God all in all of his majesty. We are no match for the enemy in his lies. We're no match. When people truly see him in this passage of scripture in Isaiah, they will be astounded at who he really is. And they will be, those who have followed him to their own ruin will be ashamed. Some ministers have even followed him. We know that from history. Some ministers have followed the leadings of the enemy, the deceit. Uh, big example, Jim Jones, who was started out to be a full, full gospel minister, and yet for the sake of notoriety and wanting the applause of people, he would fake miracles and gather a following behind him and lead over 300 people down to Vienna 
South America and lead them in a suicide pact. He was deceived. You know, and, and before we go on, I wanted to mention one thing. We, beloved, have to be so careful. And and I guess I would address this specifically, Brother Randy and, and Pastor Zach and Brother Nick. We need to hold all these brothers up in prayer and Sister Lucia and Sister Alicia. Why am I mentioning these folks and, and uh, Brother Colton? Because they are the worship leaders. The enemy will attack them. Uh, you know what I think happened with him when he... When he fell, I think all of his cords turned to discord. I don't think his body made a, a clear sound anymore. It probably made a thunk or a out of out of dis, discord tone. You know, I I play the shofar every once in a while in the service when the music's going on. But you know what? Kind of watch the guitar players because I know what chords I can play and not be discordant because I don't want to just be playing the shofar just to be playing it and, and to have it be out of key. You ever heard an orchestra warm up? That's a cacophony of sound. It doesn't sound pretty. Yet when they stop and they are led by the director, the conductor, it becomes a beautiful sound because they're playing it together. But when the enemy makes a sound now, it's a discordant sound. Where do we think that some of the rock and roll music comes from? Because that sound that they make with some of that is, is the sound of hell. It's the sound that praises the enemy. It does not praise God. Wow. So what do we do? Jesus gives us some good examples in his teachings. In John 10.10. 10, Jesus said, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. So what Jesus says, then, gives it clearly what the enemy will do. The enemy will try to destroy us. He will try to steal from us. He will even try to kill us. But Jesus came that he might give us life. And his life is abundant life. Martin Luther wrote many hymns, but one of his most notable hymns came from the passage in Psalms we read last week, Psalm 46. The first verse says this, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Whew. Did you hear that? A bulwark never failing. God and Christ 
are undefeated in all of their battles against the enemy. Undefeated. Undefeated. Better than the 1972 Miami Dolphins. They were undefeated. But the next year, they got defeated. God has never been defeated. Never been defeated. Never will be defeated. Got to say that over and over again. We got to remind ourselves of that. Amen. Our helper, he amidst the flood of moral ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. What's he saying? He's talking about God, and then all of a sudden he starts talking about the enemy. The enemy is filled with hate. Why? Because he knows the place where he was. He knows that that place that he had in heaven was such a sweet spot. He had his whole future ahead of him. It was going to be beautiful. It was going to be the best retirement plan that any company had ever offered, and yet he blew it. And so when he sees Christians serving God and trying to serve God, he hates them. He hates us because he knows that God has promised to us if we will be faithful, if we will overcome, then we will inherit His kingdom and be in that beautiful heaven someday. But he ended that verse, he ended that verse saying, on earth is not His equal. No one on earth is able to fight against the enemy, this hater of mankind. No one's able to fight against Him on our own. So what is our strength? What is our help? The Lord Jesus Christ is. He is our help. Verse 2 says this. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. Yeah. We're not the right man on our side. The man of God's own choosing. Praise the Lord. Just ask who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is He. Lord Sabaoth, His name. From age to age the same. And He must win the battle. Glory to God. <laughs> he must. In other words, He will. He is victorious. When we are confronted with the enemy, we turn right to the Lord. And we say, Lord, You're our strength. You're our help. You will be with us. This enemy is no, we're no match for this enemy, but you are a match for him. You can help us with this struggle, with this battle, with this temptation, whatever it is. Jesus Christ is victorious. Amen. Let's look and see what Jesus did when he was confronted with the enemy. When he had his temptation, after he was baptized in the book of Mar Matthew, excuse me, chapter 4, verse 4, Satan brought a temptation and Jesus said this, It is written, 
Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is the Son of God. And yet he says, it is written. In verse 7, he says it again. He's tempted again, and Jesus said to him, it is written again. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And then the devil tempted him a third time. And what did he do? He said, Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written. I think there's a theme here. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. The Word. Wow. No wonder Paul calls the Word the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit. So that when we have an attack of the enemy, we go back to the Word. Well, what, what if we can't get to the Word? Or what if it's dark and we don't want to wake somebody else up? Well, what's the Word that's in your heart? Jesus said this about the Word that is in you. He said the Holy Spirit will remind you of the words that I have spoken. Holy Spirit is faithful. Wow. There's power in the Word. There's power in the Word. In Jude, verse 9, we have an example from Michael the archangel. And it says this, Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Well, what did the devil want was the body of Moses. He wanted to get Moses and set him up so that the people would worship Moses. That's what it was. And turn them away from God. But what did Michael do? He didn't fight him in, even in his own strength. Even though, let's say this, they were both had been archangels. Lucifer had been an archangel. Michael is an archangel. And so they, in that respect, are equal. But yet, even then, Michael did not bring a railing accusation against the devil. He said, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. And interesting that they've got that word, the devil, there in the scriptures. And it seems like that Michael is actually confronting the devil, that personage. Because you know that there are many people, even in the United States of America, that do not believe in an actual person of the devil. They believe it's just some kind of moral ill or evil, that that's the devil. But the scripture is very clear. We've read a lot of it tonight, talking about the devil, that he is an actual real person. And don't get me wrong. I, I'm not saying that he looks like he's red and he has horns and he has a tail. I'm not saying that. Because Paul said about the devil, he said that he even comes as an angel of light. So he comes to try to put on a nice cover so that he can deceive people into thinking that what he, who he is and what he's saying is okay. So, we have power in the word. 
Jesus did that, and he showed us that example, power in the word. The second thing is we have power to say, the Lord rebuke you. We can say that along with Michael the archangel. Now let's go to 1 John and see what it says in chapter 3, verse 8. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. So that's something we can have hope in too, isn't it? That the devil sinned from the moment that he fell. He, he's always continually, after that point, he's always continually been trying to invent new sins or to go back to his old plan. He's always trying to deceive people and cause people to stumble, lead them astray, make them think that they're going to get some great accolades of people and fame and fortune and all of that. But the end of it is death. And we know that. Because he hates us. And so, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. So, Jesus Christ has already defeated the devil. I love that passion of the Christ at the very beginning. I know when, when I went, there was a bunch of us that, from the church that had gone to the movie theater to see that. And we erupted in a cheer because <laughs> it showed Jesus in the garden. And there was a snake there, and he just lifted up his foot and stomped on it. <laughs> just tremendous. And that's what he did. He defeated the enemy. Amen. He is victorious. Amen. Then in Luke chapter 10, verses 18 through 20, Jesus said this, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He says, I saw it. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Oh, that is good, isn't it? That is good. I'm going to read, I got re, to read that again. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Take your stand. Make your stand. But then he, Jesus goes on to give us an admonition. He says this, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven, because that's so much greater to know that than to have be able to defeat the enemy. Wow. Hey, weighing things in a scale. What's better, winning a battle over the enemy or going to heaven to be with Jesus? You know, that our names are in heaven. Wow, that's the most wonderful thing. And then the victories against the enemy will come as we continue to press forward in our walk with the Lord. Because the enemy, just like we sang tonight, the enemy has been defeated. The enemy has been defeated. Death couldn't hold Christ down. 
So we just got to stand fast in Christ's victory. In Christ's victory. James tells us also how we win the battle. And all of these things we take together and we say, all, you know, one of these things we may do, need to do at one time, another we may need to do at another time, or we may need to put them all together. And this is also what Brother Andy was talking about with Psalm 51, because it says this, James 4, 7, Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Many people quote that. They say, well, you know what? You just got to resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Now, I've tried that before. And I remember when I had a newspaper route when I was a kid and, and been to school and all these kids cussing and, you know, just just filled my head with all of that. I wasn't doing the cussing, but it, but it filled my head and it just bothered me and I couldn't get it out of my mind. And so... I was going, in the name of Jesus, people probably thought I was crazy. They saw me going down the road like that. But what's he say? He says, we are to submit to God. Submit to God. Lord, I submit myself to you. I am your servant. I'm your child. As Randy said, Lord, Remove anything from me that is not of you and help me to be your servant what you need to do, what you need to do through me, what you need me to be. And then when the enemy comes, you say, talk to the hand. <laughs> and if you have any more questions, talk to the nail-scarred hand. <laughs> yeah. Because his blood covers over us. Jesus' blood. He is our victory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. First Peter. Where am I going? My tabs are not don't seem to be aligned. But here it is. First Peter chapter five. My alarm must be going off. That must mean it's time for me to quit, huh? 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The enemy's trying to devour people. You know them. You've met them. You know, their lives are hollow shells of what they should be. Because the enemy has devoured them. He's led them astray. Can they be redeemed as long as there is breath? They can still be redeemed. They can still be like the scripture says, snatched as fire brands from the burning. They can be delivered out of the enemy's hands. Let's go on to see what it says. He's seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Be vigilant. Resist him. He's acting like a roaring lion. Uh, years ago, I heard a preacher by the name of Gail Irwin. Uh, and this was when I was still in college. It was at a youth camp. And, but he 
he was talking about, he had been to uh, Africa on a uh, safari. As a, he was a missionary in Africa, and he was on a safari, and he heard a lion roar. And he said to his guide, he said, man, that must be just a terrifying lion roaring like that. And the guide said, oh, no, you don't have to be afraid of that lion. That lion is old and toothless. He just roars to make people think that he is scary. You don't have to fear him. The enemy is as a roaring lion. He is trying to make us afraid that we'll lose our salvation or that we'll lose our kids or that we'll lose our country or that we'll lose our world. He's trying to make us think that Jesus is not coming back or that Jesus is defeated or that Jesus is not a victor or that Jesus can't deal with that problem or this problem. But he is a liar. He's just a roaring lion trying to get people to follow him to perdition. Amen. So we need to just resist him and follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. Be steadfast in the faith. Steadfast in the faith. Morning, noon, and night. Be the same person that you are in church when you're out on the street and be the same person out on the street as you are in the church. Just be real. Walk in victory in Jesus' name. Finally, what I want to tell you is this. Remember, we have an enemy that hates us. He wants to destroy us. Especially those of you that have stepped up into leadership positions or you've gone ahead and more deeper in your walk with Christ. The enemy doesn't like that. And he's put out bulletins against you. Memos to all of his minions to come against you. But listen to this. The battle is already won. Our victory is in Jesus Christ. And in his word. Amen. And you know what amen means? Let it be so. And if you don't like that definition, I'll give you another one. So be it. (laughs) Stand with me, will you? Hallelujah. Jesus. Jesus. We thank you so much, our Lord.